You know, I feel led to start this morning by actually going back to the beginning of this chapter. Paul started chapter 12 by saying, I do not want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. And some versions, in fact, my 1984 NIV version says, I do not want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Uh, Other versions say, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, how many here like to consider themselves uninformed or ignorant about any particular subject? Okay. All right, a, few, a couple of hands. All right. But Paul's point is that we need, inf- we need information to keep us from, from being ignorant, from, to keep us from being uninformed. We need information about spiritual gifts, about experience, experiencing spiritual gifts, and about using them. And that information comes to us through the scripture. If we're not going to be, if, if we are not going to be ignorant, we need to be informed by the scripture. And Paul is writing scripture to us here in the book of, of uh, 1 Corinthians here in this letter. And so he is informing us through his writing, through scripture about spiritual gifts to keep us from being ignorant. You know, someone, someone might say, and I've heard this, it's a false dichotomy, but I've heard people say, you know, I want sound Bible teaching rather than the workings of the Spirit. But it is the Bible that informs us about the Spirit. It is the Bible that calls us into this dynamic experience of the Holy Spirit working through our lives. So when we come to spiritual gifts, God's Word is our authority about gifts, It is our authority for the gifts and for operating in the gifts. And it is our authority under which we operate in the gifts. It's our information that keeps us from ignorance and error. Now, I, again, feel led to just review some of the things in this chapter before we delve into these final few verses. And so I want to just walk through it. Some of this is review. I know for those those that have been here Sunday after Sunday, but... Very quickly, I just want to pull us through this chapter. What are some things that Paul has said to inform us? Well, first of all, he told us that the Holy Spirit manifests himself through each one of us for the benefit of all. Verse 7, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So, Building up others, your ability, my ability to build up others, your ability to bless others in the body of Christ has this supernatural aspect about it. It is God himself at work showing himself through you, or more specifically, it is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God showing himself through you and and me in various ways. And the second thing that Paul has done here to, to really inform us or uh, eliminate ignorance is to in, is to inform us of specific gifts that others may have that we may not know anything about in our own experience and i think this is at least part of the reasons why paul goes through this listing of gifts here and and in other places but he he says to you know to this one is given the word of wisdom to one is given a word of knowledge to another faith by the same spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, uh, to another speaking in various kinds of tongues, 
and to another interpretation of tongues. And then, then, then there's this big key statement where he says, all these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. So the point is that the Holy Spirit gives a variety of gifts and even though some of those gifts might seem foreign to us or to you or to me or different, maybe I should say, different from what we have since they are the work of the one Holy Spirit, then we accept and acknowledge them as part of this diverse working of the Spirit of God through all of us in many different ways. And then Paul uses the human body to inform us also. He uses the Paul, Josh taught on this last Sunday, his great message. Uh, Paul, Paul uses the human body to inform us that two commonly held attitudes about gifts are just plain wrong. One wrong attitude is to say that because I am not what somebody else is, therefore I don't belong. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Paul says it would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. I think Paul's dealing with the idea that some may either uh, belittle their own gifts or feel disappointed or even discontent about how God has made them. And so they might be tempted on that basis to withdraw and just say, I don't belong. I don't have a place here. But Paul says that's that's wrong thinking. He informs us that that is just plain wrong. The Bible says we all belong. We are all a part. We all have a necessary place among God's people for the blessing and benefit of God's people. We can each bring the presence of the Spirit in some unique way to other people for their benefit. And so no one should, should have this attitude of, I just don't fit in, I don't belong, and so I'm going to kind of just go, go hide away at my house or in the corner or whatever. Then Paul says it is wrong also to have the attitude that I do not need the gifts of others. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. It is, it is very easy, uh, just because of the, the pride of human nature, it's very easy to become comfortable with, with our own gift or gifts and comfortable perhaps with other people who have the same gift and it is, it is very easy to feel smug and sufficient without those other guys, without those other people, without those other, without those other gifts. And Paul says these are wrong attitudes that are really rooted in, in ignorance about how the body of Christ works. So, so he says, I'm informing you of how the body of Christ works and, and I'm, 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 he, he's contending against these, these kinds of wrong attitudes or, th- or th- thoughts. Then when we come to these last few verses, uh, it, it's, it's like Paul wants to make sure that we get the message that all this talk about ears and eyes and toes and hands really has to do with our place in the church. And that's where he really takes up in verse 27. He says, now you are Christ's body. After explaining all this about the human body, he says, now you are 
Christ's body and individual parts of it. We are all a part of it. So then in, in these remaining couple of verses, which we're going to spend the majority of our time on this morning, he gives us uh, some additional information that is really important for us to understand when it comes to this whole, whole concept of spiritual gifts that we are all a part in one body. Now, the first main point, and I, you know, I'm going to deal with some things this morning that aren't, aren't that easy to deal with. It, seem, it seems like I, I always get messages that aren't, aren't that, just they're not always that straightforward. But, you know, I'm trying, honestly, before God, I cry out to, to accurately present the Word of God and its truth with, regardless of how uncomfortable or how there's different, different points that people might think about it. But as I see it, and this is, you know, as I sincerely, earnestly study, uh, studied this passage and prayed and sought the wisdom of the Spirit and the, to speak the truth of God, I think the main point here is, is that we should eagerly desire the gifts that are most important in building up the church of God. Okay? Now, this may sound to some like Paul is going against what he just said about each person being necessary or indispensable. But it is not, okay? So, so hear me out. He said all gifts are necessary, right? All members of the body are to be appreciated and valued, are they not? He said we are to give the same honor and the same care to all. I mean, we should hold everyone, no matter what their gift, every gift we should hold in, every part of the body we should hold in the same honor. In other words, we, we don't just, you know, highly elevate this one person, this one man or woman, and just and, and act like somebody else is just, just the bottom of the barrel, you know, so to, so to speak. Okay, so we're to give the same honor, the same care to all. Everybody's necessary. Everyone is needed. But certain gifts are greater in terms of building up the church. And he tells us to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, all of them. But he tells us to especially eagerly desire gifts that will benefit the church the most. And, and that's what I think Paul is saying here in this, in this passage. So he makes the point, and he, does, he makes this point by saying that God has placed people with certain gifts in the church in some kind of order of importance, okay? Uh, that just seems very, very clearly what's going on here. Verse 28 says, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping of guidance, actually, my NIV says administration, uh, and of different kinds of tongues. All these gifts are from God. All these gifts are good because they're from God. All of these gifts are from the ch- are for the church. But Paul says, I, I want you to understand, there is some kind of priority to the gifts. So he lists them, lists them out in his first, second, third, and then, and then, so forth. All right. First of all, apostles. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of time, and this may seem like a bunny trail, but I think it's kind of important for us to, to understand uh, 
what, what is being said here. So I'm going to talk, spend a little bit of time talking a little bit more about pro- apostles, prophets, than some of the other gifts. But I don't want you to forget what is the main point, that there is a priority. There are things that are of greater importance for the benefit of the church, and we can't get sidetracked in our pursuing of gifts to forget that issue. Okay. First of all, apostles. The word apostle means a messenger or one who was sent out on a mission. In the New Testament, there were 12 apostles appointed by Jesus. There was Paul, who was specifically called in a vision uh, from Jesus to be... He had a direct appointment from Jesus Christ. But there are also those who were called apostles such as James, the brother of Jesus, Barnabas, Andronicus, Junius, Apollos, Silas, and Timothy, who were not the 12 apostles, but, but who functioned in kind of an apostolic or a messenger missionary role as servants of the church. And it seems to me, from the context and my understanding, it seems to me that Paul is referring to those kind of apostles here. David Guzik said this about this verse. Apostles are special ambassadors of the church. Paul and others in his day had a unique apostolic authority which will never be repeated because the foundation of the church has already been set. However, God still has his special ambassadors in the church today, though not with the same authority as the original apostles. You know, I read a lot of Christian biographies, and it's just just down down through history. Uh, there's been a, a lot of men that God has, God has raised up, and I just remember a phrase that has often come to my mind as I've read Christian biographies. In fact, it's often been used by by their biographer, their authors, and they say so and so served the churches or worked. Just he was like a modern day apostle. In fact, Jim Jordahl gave me one of the most interesting books I, I read in many years, about, about uh, uh, a man who was called the Apostle of Norway. His name was Hans Nielsen Haig, and I might have the pronunciation wrong. But he was a man that God raised up to travel through all the cities and churches of Norway to bring revival in, what was it, early 1800s, late 1700s, something like that. But the, the church was just dead in Norway. They had the, the, the foundations of Lutheranism, but it had just gone, it just gone, just gone dead and cold. And, <clears throat> and God used this man to travel through Norway to bring revival. Of course, he was not an apostle like Peter or Paul, but he had the gifting and calling from God to change the, the entire spiritual atmosphere of the nation of Norway at that time in history. Prior to the communist takeover in China, the churches uh, who were called the the Little Flock, which were associated with Watchman Nee's ministry, which I read a lot about, going clear back to my time in college, uh, Watchman Nee wrote a book called The Normal Christian Church. And they considered certain men apostles among them in this same sense, not with the authority of the 12 apostles or Paul, but in their understanding, elders and deacons had responsible, responsibility at the local church level. And then apostles were responsible to go to new areas, to new cities in China and villages and 
preach the gospel, plant churches, and help establish those churches. And they, they were not over those churches in a, in a domineering way, but like Paul, as a nursing mother, they, they just helped them get off the ground and be, become established. I think, and, and, and I say I think because I'm expressing opinion here, and I, I try to make clear when I think it's just what I'm saying, but I, I think men like John Wesley and perhaps Hudson Taylor, Taylors and other missionaries and workers today who, who are used, raised up by God to preach the gospel and plant churches or oversee the, the well-being of, of multiple churches uh, function in this way as, as messengers or sent ones uh, in this sense. But obviously they're not on the same level in any way as the 12 apostles or the writers of Scripture. There is a trend today in some circles in which men kind of call themselves apostles or, or build themselves up as apostles. And in some cases they claim excessive authority over the church. And some of them demand special treatment, like they have these entourages and they travel with uh, limousines and, and they demand the finest hotel co- accommodations and so forth. They're, they're apostles, sort of self-elevated. And that's, just, that's just not what Paul had in mind here, here, here at all. But again, I don't want to lose point of Paul's point here, is just that some gifts have greater importance to the church. But if, for, 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 for those those men who are raised up by God that can go into unreached areas and proclaim the gospel and help plant churches and establish them and help them get growing and oversight and, and are called as, as messengers like this uh, to the church, th- that's more important than some other things. And we, Paul is just, just saying that. All right, first apostles, second prophets. You know, if you don't agree, if you don't agree with my assessment of things there, you know, that's just fine. I'm just sharing what, what, I, what I understand. And uh, second, uh, prophets. God has placed men in the church today and throughout history to speak clearly what the church needs to hear for that hour. Uh, you know, prophets in this sense do not speak with the authority of Scripture. We're not talking about a Jeremiah or an Isaiah who spoke and wrote infallibly. Uh, Prophets, in this sense, do not speak with that authority, but yet with an ear tuned to the heart of God and to the voice of the Spirit, they speak the truth of God, and often it is the Word of God, but it is prompted by the Spirit. They, they know what, what the church, or they have an understanding of what the church needs to hear for that hour. It may be to warn the church. Some prophets, I believe, are, are raised up to warn the church, but also to encourage and build up and bless the church. Uh, someone has defined uh, a prophet like this. A prophet is one who knows his times and what God is trying to say to the people of his times. And again, pointing to an example in my past, I, did a, I read a lot of the writings of A.W. Tozier. And it was, I was always interested that people from all kinds of denominations, people that didn't, didn't even believe in the gift of prophecy, often would say, A.W. Tozier is like a prophet to the church, or they would refer to him as a prophet uh, to the church. And it was certainly a previous generation, but, but he had just an uncanny uh, perception and insight into the, the downward slide of the church and, and where the church was headed and where it needed to be headed. And, and he, he, he spoke prophetically. 
powerfully for, uh, as if, uh, as it were, as Peter says, as it were the utterances of God to the church and called the church back to God. Um, John Piper said these three things about uh, prophets and the gift of prophecy. Uh, one, he said, it is still valid and useful for the church today. And this is the cl- clear implication. Then he lists a whole bunch of Bible passages uh, from Acts and 1 Corinthians. And I can, I'm not going to go into all those. If somebody wants them, I'll put some of them in my notes. Second, it is a spirit-prompted, spirit-sustained utterance that is rooted in true revelation. He quotes 1 Corinthians 14.30 there. But is, but is fallible because the prophet's perception of the revelation and thinking about the revelation and report of the revelation are all fallible. It is In this way, it is thus similar to the gift of teaching, which is also spirit-prompted, spirit-sustained, rooted in an infallible revelation of the Bible, and yet is fallible but very useful to the church. So he says that's the same thing about prophecy. It's rooted in revelation. It's things that the Spirit is prompting, um, but it it is not an infallible revelation like the words of Scripture. All right. Again, I don't want us to lose our point in that, but I just just trying to help help in in a sense. I hope educate us uh, about what uh, the what apostles and prophets uh, are and the distinction uh, between what is infallible and fallible, what is uh, the the foundational, not to be repeated uh, authority of the uh, twelve apostles and Paul. Etc. But the point is simply go back to this. If you, and again, if you, if you, if something I've said doesn't doesn't uh, set right with you, uh, the point is again that there there are there are things that need to get done in the church that have greater importance than others. All right. Third on Paul's list, um, and now we're on Paul's list, not John Piper's list. Okay. Okay. Third on Paul's list are teachers. Third, teachers. Teachers, of course, teach God's word. They take what God has revealed in his word and explain it and help us to understand it. You know, good teaching uh, should just take the the plain, uh, unvarnished word of God and teach it and explain it in such a way that the light bulb should go off in your mind and heart and you say, oh, I, I get it now. I mean, it's something, it's, it's, a, it's, it's taking the revelation of God and teaching it, explaining it, helping you to understand it. Uh, good teachers, I believe, should help make the Bible come alive to your heart, should, should make the Bible seem like wonderful, good food to your soul, okay? All right, Paul moves on. He says, then those who perform miracles. You know, I'm just going to say, yes, that really is one of the gifts of the Spirit, you know, it might might shock, might shock you, but yeah, those who perform miracles. Then those who have gifts of healing. I mean, thank God for those who effectively pray for healing for us. Man, I remember that that nine months, uh, almost a year that I st- struggled with a bad headache. Man, how thankful I was for people who prayed earnestly and fervently for me and thank how thankful I was to get healed from that. Then there are those who, with gifts of helps or those who help others. 
Uh, gifts of service, different, way, different ways this is translated here. But the gifts of helps, I, that's what I always grew up calling it the gift of helps. And what a wonderful gift that is. Uh, how, how badly the church needed, needs people with the gift of helps who just, they want to help. And I read somewhere, I think it was J.B. Phillips that said, you know, the church can go a long time without a miracle, but it can't go very long without the gift of helps. I mean, we need people that can bring help. And then uh, administ- administration. Um, again, you know, I, I guess I'm kind of caught off guard by the, by the translation guidance because, again, I've always looked at this as gift of administ- administration. Um, but I, th- I think there's people that can bring oversight. They, they just have this gift of, of bringing order to things. Uh, you know, a lot of us can have a vision for something ha- to happen, but ad- administ- people with gift of administrations can can make it happen. I mean, they they can get things together, and some people just have that gift. They 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 love doing stuff like that. I I honestly don't, but uh, you know, some people have have that. And thank God for people who have uh, have a gift of administration. And then Paul says, uh, those who speak with various uh, kinds of tongues or languages. And Paul describes this in chapter 14 as uh, praying with your spirit or singing with your spirit in words that, that you don't understand with your own mind and other people in the church don't understand, but, but God does. And so he describes that gift of praying or singing uh, in, or speaking in various kinds of, of tongues. But again, here's the point. Here's the point. Although all these gifts are equally needed, there is some level of priority among the gifts. Now, it would be wrong to go over to, to it would be wrong to overstate this to the point of magnifying certain people or belittling others or their gifts. And, and again, Paul has already taught clearly that all parts of the body are necessary all are to receive the same level of honor however he wants us to see that we should pursue greater gifts or things that are even more necessary for the building up of the church in other words we should remember that the purpose of spiritual gifts is for others for the benefit and blessing of others and we should not get caught up excessively or caught up in excessively pursuing certain gifts to the point of ignoring the most useful in building up the church. All right. It's clear in this list, um, and I'm going to delve a little bit into this because I think there's been some um, misapplication or I think some wrong teaching has come from this, but I, I, I do want to point this out. I mean, it's just clear that apostles are first in this list, tongues are listed last, and healing, miracles, gifts of helps, and administration and teaching all fall in between. That does, that does not mean that speaking in tongues is not a good gift. And it certainly doesn't mean that it is to be despised or rejected or that it is not a legitimate gift. And, and I, I say, I, I point this out, I take time to point this out because some have used this passage 
to, you know, like to just trash this gift. And that's not what Paul is doing here at all. He's just saying that overall, in the big picture of things, people, there, there are things that are more important in the building up of the church. But every gift of God, I emphasize, is good, and tongues is a good and wonderful gift. Uh, I've openly shared that I, that I pray and pray in tongues. Just, I mean, recently I had an experience of really burdened about something. I, you know, I just cried, cried out to God in, <laughs> in, in tongues for a long time. And Paul himself said, I thank God that I speak in tongues. Paul said that. Paul the Apostle said, I thank God that I speak in tongues. And I wish all of you spoke in tongues. But he also realized that there were gifts that had greater need and priority in the church. And I think he said this so that the people at Corinth would not be all consumed with this one gift, while other gifts that had even greater potential for building up the church were ignored. And it's just, he's just pointing out that no Get, no one gift is the end-all, consummate, whatever you want to call it, of all gifts. So that's where he comes around to verse 31, the very last verse. So earnestly desire the higher gifts. That's ESV. Or the NIV says uh, earnestly desire the greater gifts. So... Later in this section, Paul says, earnestly pursue or earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Um, the ISV on that verse says, keep on pursuing love and keep on desiring spiritual gifts, especially the ability to prophesy. So th- it, this is a point that Paul's not going to totally leave off. When we get back over into chapter 14, It'll be several weeks from now probably but uh, because we're going to go back into Acts. But this is is a point that he's going to come back to. But I want to talk a little bit about this statement, uh, earnestly desire and earnestly desire the higher higher gifts. I want to kind of break that out just a little bit because I, I, I I think we need it. But putting these statements together... Uh, I think we get the mind of Paul. First, we should eagerly desire spiritual gifts, all of them. We should eagerly desire to prophesy, to heal, or work miracles, or to teach or encourage, or to be good administrators or good helpers, or to speak in tongues or to interpret. You know, we should just eagerly desire spiritual gifts. You know, people study and dig into all kinds of things. They pursue all kinds of interests, which is incredible amount of energy. And Paul says we should do that with spiritual gifts. And Paul understood that the way for you and I to, to, to have gifts and to walk in the gifts starts with desiring them. Okay, now... Yes, I believe that the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he wills. And Paul says in this passage the Holy, that God uh, assigns or sets people in the church with various gifts. I totally believe that. And there is a kind of an ultimate sovereignty of God in this. You know, there's just, 
No matter what you want to be or do, there, there's, there's kind of this overriding just will of God, okay, will of the Holy Spirit. But as with many script, things in Scripture, there's this balance that we also are to earnestly desire them. And the impl- clear impl- implication is that, that we may have or experience gifts to some degree on the basis of, of what we go after, what we desire. Uh, so Paul understood that the way that you and I have gifts, or at least part of the way that you and I have gifts and walk in gifts, starts with desiring them. I mean, desire is the way God works his will in us. You know, uh, Philippians 2.13, For God is at work in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's from the ESV. I love that. For God is at work in you, giving you the desire. He, he works in us by changing our desires. And... So Paul says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And, and honestly, he's going to go on and tell us to desire the greater ones, but, but we, I think we have to just first just take that statement, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. John Bloom, a staff writer for Desiring God, has a fantastic uh, article about this verse. Earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts looks like desiring them. For the most part, the Bible is not a how-to manual. It holds out treasure to us and bids us to seek it out. Desire is the test, for desire fuels the quest. What do you do when you really want something? You don't wait around for someone to deliver it nicely packaged, fully assembled, and ready to use. You go looking for it. You start asking questions of knowledgeable people. You read and you watch and you listen to a lot of information. You ask, seek, and knock. If you really want it, you consider it worth the hard work of figuring things out, of working till you get it. That is what earnestly desiring spiritual gifts looks like. I fully believe that no one church has everything right, and we don't have everything right here. Um, But one of the saddest things that I've experienced in my own church background, and one of the saddest things I've seen in so many churches, is to teach people primarily to fear or to stay away from the gifts of the Spirit. Um, Even sadder to me is just the out-and-out denial that the gifts of the Spirit are for for God's people. And the result of that is that people are programmed to not earnestly desire anything having to do with the Holy Spirit. And I had had to overcome... That was a big obstacle for me to overcome in my life just with the the way that I was taught and brought up. So instead of coming like children to ask our God, good father who gives good gifts uh, for the spirit and the gifts of the spirit instead of eagerly desiring to receive from God the gifts of the spirit for all these things all these variety of, of gifts uh, some including myself were just have just been brought up in, a, in an environment where where they don't desire those and, and actually taught that it taught that it would be be wrong to, to do that and that just to be safe, you better stay away from all of that as far as as possible. Now, we, as I said at the beginning, we get our information about spiritual gifts from the Bible, okay? And we want to be people who operate on the authority of the word, under the authority of the word. 
But again, it is the word itself that tells us, that leads us, that calls us into this whole experience of, of operating in spiritual gifts in the way that we build up and bless one another. Now, one more, one more thought on this is that I love the fact that Paul says uh, desire spiritual gifts. To eagerly desire something, that's, that's the appeal of grace. It's not the demand of the law. I mean, if you don't want any certain gift, you don't have to have it. We're not here to put a law on you to have something. It's what it's eagerly desire. It's a word of grace. It's a gracious word. I mean, it's a command, but it, it's, a, it's a put in the, in, the, in the way of grace. I hope that makes sense to you. And certainly... You know, we're not here to force any, any gift on anyone, but just to create an environment where people are encouraged to desire, to earnestly desire. But as we go after the gifts, again, we are to especially go after greater gifts. And again, that's going to become the main message of chapter 14. You know, in the prayer closet, tongues is a wonderful gift, helping you, helping you to pray in words that God understands, but you do not. But in the church, speaking uh, prophecy or speaking in words that people understand, Paul says, is, is way more valuable. It's way more important. So, uh, and, unless he gives the, the caveat, unless the, the tongues is interpreted in words that people understand. Uh, so, when you think about what gifts you want to seek after, think in terms of how you could benefit the church most. Man, I'm running out of time here. Um, all right. The second truth that Paul makes very clear is here is that there is no one gift that everybody functions in without exception. All are not apostles. All are, excuse me, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. Seven times he asks, are all this or that? Do all have this gift? And the answer to every single question is what? No. Not all Christians are prophets or apostles. Not all have gifts of healing. Not, we, we are all to pray for one another to be healed, but not all have that special gift to bring healing to others. Not all work miracles. Not everyone speaks in tongues. Not everyone has the ability to, to interpret tongues. Uh, certain gifts may be very common. Some gifts may be common among many, many, many Christians. But Paul makes the point very clearly that no one gift is universally given to all. So why would Paul be so emphatic about this? Why would he go to this extent to make this point? Um, Part of it is what I said earlier, that that although our desire plays a part in the gifts that we have, God ultimately is the one who appoints or sets or wills. But I think there's, there's some reason that I think this Paul makes this point. One, just to remind us again that we are a part but not the whole. We are a part of Christ's body. No, no one of us is the whole. As soon as someone, as soon as anyone loses this humble sense of needing those with other gifts... As soon as we get to the point where we're no longer able to receive from people with gifts that we don't 
experience ourselves, that, that puts us in a, in a place of spiritual dangers, danger. So what we have to bring, while important, is not everything the body needs. Not, none of us has all the equipment to furnish everything that all people need to grow into the full image of Jesus Christ. If we all could do all of these things that Paul just listed out, then we're no longer a body. We're no longer a body needing each other, no longer dependent upon each other to fuel the growth and our love for Christ and our growing up. And that second, there's just such a human tendency to impose uniformity. I mean, you put people together, any group of people, long enough, they start talking the same, dressing the same, wearing their hair the same, talking with the same accent. You know, and God doesn't want us like that. He made us different. He made us unique. And he wants us to, to function in that uniqueness and to recognize that. So this statement, is, it's a safeguard against being pressured to operate in the same gift as another person. And it's a warning to any of us who would try to start pressuring other people to have our exact same set of gifts. Third, this statement stands against the idea that if you do not have a certain gift, you are necessarily on an inferior spiritual plane than someone who does. I mean, Paul just says, hey, not all have this or that, you know. And that's okay. And then fourth, when, when one gift is singled out as, as the one gift that everybody has to have, uh, it can lead, and I actually got this point from David Guzik, but it can lead some to actually fake a gift in order to fit in or to try to prove to others that they fit in or to, to pass the test, so to speak. So Paul makes it, makes it clear that, that we... Not, not all are any of these gifts. You can have more than one gift and perhaps many gifts. Uh, you can desire a gift and receive a gift that you currently do not have. Um, but it does not tell us that we should or can all have all of the gifts. And then Paul ends with this statement, and yet I will show you the more excellent way or the best way of all And that, of course, is what? The way of love. Um, Paul's not teaching that love, he doesn't go on to teach that love has replaced spiritual gifts. He's not saying that his teaching on love negates anything he has said about gifts, but that there is a greater thing than spiritual gifts, and that's love. Spiritual Spiritual gifts are actually to be used as a means to love one another. It's there to be seen as, okay, I want, I'm, God, I'm asking you to give me a gift. I'm asking you to manifest your spirit through me so that I can do a better job of loving these people around me. So I can do a better job of equipping them and helping them to live for Jesus. That's, that's the heart of spiritual, spiritual gifts. You're to pursue them because you love people and you want to be a blessing. Let's, let's pray.